For those of you that this is your first time, uh, let me just uh, remind uh, everyone that's been here and catch you up as well that the real thing is a series based on this thought right here. It's my personal belief in talking to people all the time, just like you do, that uh, church is no longer uh, something that is a huge priority in people's life. It's not something that they, re- they build their life around. In fact, uh, one of the preachers, uh, I think he's got like the sixth largest church in America. He's here in the Houston area. His name is Ed Young. He pastors a, a great church, Second Baptist in Houston. Far too far for you to go visit, by the way. <laughs> But anyway, he's a phenomenal man. I got a lot of respect for him. Uh, He's got like, I don't know, 17,000 people in his church. And he said something that resonated with me. He said, you know, the most consistent people in my church come twice a month. And uh, and that's just a reflection of uh, the Western world. The most consistent people go to church about half of the time. And, uh, and, and I feel like it's because church is not what it used to be. Do you know in the, in the New Testament, you can read about it in Acts chapter 2, uh, people would go to church in the morning and in the evening every single day, and then they'd have dinner with each other at life groups. Uh, they didn't call them life groups, obviously, but uh, they'd get together. They, they couldn't get enough of it. But now, in the Western world, church is not really something that we build our life around. It's something that we do if we have nothing better to do. It's something that we do if it's not raining. It's something that we do if it's not too pretty outside, because if it's raining, we're not going. And if it's too pretty, we're not going. It's got to be somewhere in the middle. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's, it, it's, things have changed. But even though there is a, a casual attitude towards the church, I'm noticing that that is not a reflection of the passion towards God. People are desiring God and desiring Jesus and desiring a relationship with God now more than ever. And the reason why there's a little bit of a disconnect is because people either want the real thing or they'd rather just stay home. Is that right? They want the real thing. They want to experience the presence of God. They want the presence of God to be personal. They want it to be powerful. They they know that they're not going to get, and I'm the same way, we know we're not going to get a yes to every single prayer, but we want to get a yes to some. We don't want to go O for 100 right? We want God moving in our life. We want God touching our heart. We want to have a personal relationship with God. And if church is going to be one of those things where it just feels like one big program, well, we'll just stay home and watch golf. But if it's something where our, our relationship with God is being kindled every time we go, and our, our, the presence of God is, is, is just moving through us, I, we, we want to be in church as much as possible. Am I right about that? It's, it's a relationship that we, do, we want. It's, it's the real thing. Whatever the real thing is, we want it, right? We want it. And, and that's what this whole series has been about. And, and today, I'm going to talk specifically about setting ourselves apart for a holy use, uh, the Bible calls it consecration, when something is set apart for a holy use. Uh, in the Bible, they call uh, a certain type of bread a holy bread, which means you can eat any kind of bread you want for dinner or breakfast, but this bread right here, this is holy bread. And, and these goblets and these utensils can only be used for holy purposes like communion. 
Uh, you can use any goblet you want in the house for dinner or breakfast, but, but these are holy utensils. It's set apart. It's consecrated. And in the Bible, it talks about being holy and striving for holiness or striving for consecration, which basically means, Lord, I am setting myself apart for your use. I want you to use me. And I want you to use my life. I want to be close to you. I want to have a relationship with you. And for that reason, I want to consecrate myself. I want to set myself apart for your use. And, and I'm just going to kind of summarize the whole message right now with this statement. When we want the real thing, we're willing to consecrate ourselves from things that the Lord doesn't like. We're willing to separate ourselves and reserve ourselves and say, Lord, my life is in your hands. I want to be used by you. I want to be close to you. I don't know about you, but when I go to sleep at night, I want to dream about him. And when I wake up in the morning, I want to have visions with him. I don't want to guess anymore. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Have you ever thought, is that God? Are you talking to me or is that me talking to me? Yeah, I don't want to guess anymore. Are you with me? You don't want to guess anymore. You want to have a real relationship with God. And, uh, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, as a springboard, as an antidote, if you will, uh, I want to talk about uh, Yosemite National Park. Uh, there used to be a spectacle uh, where uh, every single year at Yosemite, all the trees that had fallen down that year, all the branches that had fallen down that year, they would gather them all up. These bulldozers would come in and they would push all these fallen trees and all these branches and all these leaves all to this edge of this humongous granite mountain in Yosemite. They'd push them all together and uh, they would just drench it and soak it with kerosene and gasoline. They'd just drench it. And uh, the, the people would come upon the thousands and thousands of people. It was a, a major ordeal uh, that was incredibly popular. And they would come and, and when the people were at a safe distance and when the sun had gone down, all the people in the park would look up at this granite mountain and they would yell in unison on a particular cue, let the fire fall. And at that time, the bulldozers would push these lit branches and these lit fallen trees into the waterfall and allow this fire of cascade to come off the side of this granite mountain. And the people would scream and the people would cheer. And it was a very emotional moment because you, you don't ever see fire falling like that. And people would cheer and they would clap. And it was a, a huge moment, a moment that people never forgot. Some years later, um, a gentleman came to Yosemite National Park and uh, he heard about the fire falling and he showed up and uh, he didn't see all the cars in the parking lot like what he anticipated to see. And uh, Yosemite always has a lot of people, but he was anticipating more people being there. He was anticipating the excitement. And uh, so he walked up to a park ranger and he asked him about the fire falling. And the park ranger said something that really resonated with me. He looked the man in the eye and he said, Sir, the fire doesn't fall here anymore. The fire doesn't fall here anymore. 
You know, the reason why I bring that up is because in the Bible, in the scriptures, fire represents the presence of God. Represents the presence of God. And, and whenever I hear those words, the fire of God, uh, I start beginning to think to myself that does the fire of God still fall in churches? Does it still fall in people's life? Does it still burn in their life? Let me give you a series of examples on how the presence of God is represented as fire. In Isaiah chapter 4, verse 4, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of burning. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it says, Our God is a consuming fire. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, it says that He shall sit as a refiner's fire. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, Jesus is talking about, uh, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus and how he baptizes. And he says, men baptize in water. And and next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing some of you in water. Uh, But something is happening in parallel at the very same time in the supernatural. See, we're baptizing in water, but in in, in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, it says that that Jesus is baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, anytime you read the scriptures, the Old Testament or the New Testament, and fire is mentioned, the presence of God is there. There were some people in the Bible who had a run-in, an interaction uh, with the presence of God as he was being represented as fire. Let me give you a series of examples. In Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 14, uh, the Lord said to Jeremiah, I will make my words in your mouth be like fire. You know, I, I don't know. I talk to people outside of Celebration Church all the time about the Lord and about church. Because I understand that that's one of the greatest responsibilities I'll ever have. See, even I, as the pastor, I'm going to be responsible for bringing people to church. That's not something I get to delegate. That's something that I'm responsible for. The great commission to go out into the entire world. That's for all of us. And so I, I talk to people about coming to church. And I talk to people about the Lord. I know many of you do too. Do you know when you're talking to somebody and their, their face kind of glazes over? And you can tell they're not interested. Do you know what I'm talking about? Somebody look at just not it. You can tell that the conversation isn't going anywhere, right? And it's just kind of like this shucks, and then there's this awkwardness, right? And you're like, you know, the Texans haven't won this year. (laughs) And, And what we need to pray for is that our words are like fire, right? Our words are like fire to where when we're talking to them, we can just simply mention Jesus and and maybe they haven't heard that name in years and years, but there's something about that name of Jesus that just begins to burn in their heart and we begin to see their countenance look interested. That's what we need to pray for is our words to be like fire. In Luke chapter 24, verse 32, two disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus They're talking to each other about how Jesus just died on the cross. All of a sudden, Jesus comes walking up to them. He's disguised, and Jesus starts talking to them, and then they realize that this is Jesus. And then after Jesus left, they looked at each other, and they said, when he was talking, did our hearts 
burn within us as Christ spoke to us. When God speaks, there's like this burning on the inside. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see this man who is volunteering to be used by God. And God chooses to use him, but before he uses him, an angel takes a live coal off the altar and brings it down and sets it on his lips. See, any time the fire of God is represented in the Bible, it's a reflection of the presence of God. And when we back up and we say, oh my goodness, the fire of God, you know, I know that those words are not some words that, that we use in everyday life. Some of you may say, oh, that's Christianese, that's, that's church talk. That's not how we talk in normal life. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that God's still not a fire. That doesn't mean that His presence no longer is represented as fire. We've got to educate ourselves as to who our God is, as yeah. to who our Lord is. And I, and I feel like that's part of my responsibility if you'd allow me to unpack the Scriptures in that way. In uh, Matthew chapter 28, um, there's five uh, virgin ladies and there's five foolish virgin ladies. And in the five foolish ones, the reason why they were foolish is they had to keep their lamps burning and wait for their groom to come. But the groom had taken too long. And it's a type and shadow of how we are waiting for Jesus to come back. And, and sometimes people think that Jesus has taken too long. You know, we've been uh, waiting for years for the return of Christ and he hasn't come. And so that fire inside of us begins to go out. And the Bible says this, then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. One translation says, give us your oil because our flame is dying. It's interesting because there's a personal fire that I want to talk with you about this morning, a personal fire. Before I get to consecration, you know, when somebody's personal fire is out, um, the flame, the passion that they once had for God is gone. Now, uh, gone is the passion. Gone is the excitement. Gone is the anticipation. Gone is the, fo the focus. Gone is the pursuit. When the fire on the inside has now turned into an ember. You know it's turned into an ember when it's become casual. It's a casual approach. It, let me just share with you. See, some people want to make God the way they want Him to be. Right? I'm going to make God the way I want Him to be. I'm going to make God the way I imagine Him to be. But we got to allow God to be who He is. And, and this is who God is. God says this in His Word. I'd rather you be hot. I'd rather you be on fire for me. Or I'd rather you be cold. But don't try to be cool. Don't try to be lukewarm. Don't, don't try to be casual about this. You know what's so interesting is all of us are just like our father, aren't we? You know those relationships where one day they're your friend and the next day they're not? One day they're your friend. All of us have worked with people like that or gone to school with them like that. The most unhappiest marriages in the whole world is when the husband is into his wife one day and the next day he's not. 
Those people that are stuck in relationships like that, what do you want to say? Look, either love me or get out. We're not playing this game. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now you love me, now you don't. He loves me, he loves me a lot, he loves me. That's what I did when I was three. Now that I'm 33. (laughs) Are you with me? We're just like our father, aren't we? And, And you got that from your father. Your heart beats like your father. He put his genes inside of you. He looks at you and he says, I love you. You can't measure how much love I have for you. But here's the thing. I'd rather you be either hot or cold, but don't play with me. Don't, don't play. Don't play with me. I know that's the Frankie International version, but just trust me. <laughs> trust me. It's there. And there's a a corporate fire. I just told you about a personal fire, but there's a corporate fire, a church fire. Um, You know, I I say this in a cheeky way, but but some churches, the only fire that they have is the fire in the kitchen. You know, it's you know, a fire in the church has gone away Um, whenever the there's no fire in the pulpit. There's no fire in the preacher. There's no fire in the worship. There's no fire. There's no passion. You know, somebody, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, one of my favorite preachers of all time. He died over a hundred years ago, but he says this, if there's no fire in the message, then throw the message in the fire. There better be some fire. You know, a a preacher way older than me and much wiser than me told me one time, he said, Frankie, a cold pastor has a cold church. A a pastor that's on fire has an on-fire church. Let me just say this. I'm a realist, okay? I've I've, I've been in full-time ministry preaching for uh, almost 20 years. I'm just short. I'm like 18 years in. Let me just, I'm a realist. I understand that there's some visitors here. I, I have the honor and pleasure of speaking to you this morning, but uh, this may not be the church for you. You're, you might be in shopping mode. We're number 11, and you're going to, you know, shop 12 more churches before you make a decision. If this isn't the church for you, just let me give you one piece of advice. When you walk in, you make sure that the man preaching, you can tell the man is on fire. When, when you walk in there, when you walk in there, and that worship leader is up there, you better feel like, hey, these people aren't here singing songs to entertain me like a concert, like we're at Cynthia Woods, Mitchell Pavilion. That guy is on fire. This guy has been worshiping in his car long before he came in here. You need to feel like, you need to feel like that that preacher that you're looking at, and I sure hope you feel that here, that, that by the time I came up here, I came out of the prayer room into the sanctuary. That, that's the way you need to feel because church has become too cool. Let me just tell you, we, we've become too cool. And I catch myself all the time. I, I, I was fixing my, my little pretty uh, thingamajig about 15 minutes ago. And I was like, Frankie, stop trying to be too cool. Uh-huh. There's people up there that, that uh, there's people that you're about to talk to that, that they want to be on fire. They just don't know how. Get up there and talk about being on fire for God. But I'm just going to tell you that, that gone is the fire in many people's life. And it's a scary, scary thing when a park ranger talks about Yosemite National Park. That's one thing. But it's quite another thing when people show up to a church and they're expecting to see fire. And somebody says the fire doesn't fall here anymore. You know that there's a need for fire when worship becomes mechanical. There's a need for fire. 
There's a need for fire. there's, There's a need for fire when our society is bathed in immorality and the church is sharing water with them. There's a need for fire when we're bathed in immorality. There's a need for fire. Let me just tell you, there's a need for fire when the conviction is no longer happening anymore. There's a need for fire. It's a scary thing when we no longer feel convicted because God is a God of love. Let me just say, God is a God of love, and he's long-suffering, and he's full of mercy, and he's full of grace, and I thank God he pours it out on me every day because I've got to have it, and you've got to have it, but we cannot mock his grace. You cannot mock him. No man can mock him. It's a humble and a broken heart that comes before the Lord and says, I need your mercy and I need your grace. And we need the fire of God when we no longer cry out for his mercy, when we no longer cry out for his grace. Whenever we back up and we say, oh, Jesus died for me on the cross. I can do whatever I want now. Let me just tell you, the father will never accept what the Lord died to destroy. He'll never accept it. We need the fire of God. You know what? I'll be honest with you. If I were you, if I weren't the pastor, if I were you, I would only come to church half of the year as well. If there's no fire in the church, if there's no fire in the pulpit, if there's no fire in the worship, why am I coming? You know, we, 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 we have, we're, we're not short of friends, are we? You got plenty of friends, don't you? You don't have to come to church to get friends. You, you come to church to experience the passion and the fire of God. And, and my hope is that I can take a hose out of my heart and connect it to yours and transfer the fire and the passion into your heart. I just want to make it incredibly difficult for anybody to be able to walk into this church casual and cool and walk out casual and cool. You're going to have to work hard, girlfriend. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to work hard. You know, Charles Spurgeon, no, it was Charles Finney that said, people ought to love you when you're done preaching and people ought to hate you. Because if you make everybody happy, you're doing it wrong. That's right. Amen. I don't like it when people don't like me, though. (laughs) When nudity invades our homes and we're okay with it, it's time for the fire to fall. It's time for the fire to fall. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Stir up the gift of God that is in you. Another translation says, Rekindle the fire that is in you. See, fire comes from the Lord, but we have to keep it burning. God puts a fire inside of you. He puts a flame inside of you. But we have to keep it burning. You know the Bible says this, that without wood, the fire goes out. When you pray, you're throwing wood on the fire. When you worship, you're throwing wood on the fire. When you're alone and you choose to be holy because you know Jesus is watching even though no one else is watching, you're throwing wood on the fire. Every time you choose to do something right, even though you may not get any credit for it, you're throwing wood on the fire. I'm just telling you, the Bible says, stir up the flame. (laughs) 
Blow on the flame. Throw wood on the flame. It's our responsibility to keep that flame burning. It's too easy. It's too easy. It's too easy to let the fire turn into an ember. It's too easy to walk around with a heart full of ashes where a fire once was. I've been there before. Can we all just be honest? A relationship with God that's not on fire is a disappointing relationship. It's a disappointing relationship. You know, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says that I will give you a hope and a future. Do you know what hope means? Hope is an expectation. It's like, I can't wait for tomorrow. I can't wait for this year. I know something good is happening. Excuse me, sir. Do you realize your car just blew up? Yes, I know that. But I feel like something good is about, excuse me, sir. You got a stack of bills in your mailbox. I know that. But I feel like something good is happening. See, it's more important to know what you believe than believing the report that's coming in the mail. You got to know what you believe. And that's what it says. I will give you a hope. And people that don't have an expectation for the future don't have a hope. And the Lord says, I will give you a hope and a future. People that don't want to wake up in the morning have no hope. People who are depressed have no hope. But it's our responsibility to cultivate that fire. I, I used to live in Nagani, Michigan, up in Marquette, Michigan. And uh, we, we, were, uh, we were so far north, you could travel south and go to Canada. It's true. It's true. If you look at the map, it just kind of cups right underneath each other just like that. It was so cold. It was so cold that when you walked to your car, you had to walk backwards because the wind was so cold. It felt like it was freezing your face off. Raise your hand if you've ever been in, in cold like that. Come on, wave at me so people don't think I'm crazy. Yeah, it was so cold, you got to walk backwards to your car. It was freezing. And I remember in those days, we didn't have a thermostat. And my dad would go down to the basement and he'd, uh, he'd pull open the, the oven or the, the, the fire. The, and, and he would throw in um, these logs and it would heat our whole house. But he had to wake up every single morning at 2 a.m. and throw in logs and then he'd go back to bed. But he'd throw in these logs and he'd take this poker and he'd, we'd call it stoking the fire. And he'd stoke it and he'd turn it around and flip it around. And, and I'd never have to wake up as a child. My brother and my mom, we never had to wake up because dad was taking care of it. He was sending heat through the whole house. Let me just tell you, when you keep that fire going, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your wife. It affects your kids. When people would come over our house, when they come over our house, they'd come in and they would be comfortable because dad had already stoked the fire. See, when people come into your life, your friends, your family, it's no accident that they like hanging out with you. It's no accident that they enjoy hanging out with you. You may not have time for them, but they want to be with you. Why? Because they feel the warmth of the fire that you have been stoking. You're paying the price and they're reaping the benefits, but you've been stoking the fire. And when people decide, I don't feel like throwing logs on the fire. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like giving. I don't feel like praying. I just don't feel like it. And that fire goes down to a flame. Just remember this and I pray you never ever forget it. It affects more than just you. It affects more than just you. Stoke the fire. Stir the fire. Throw logs on the fire. You know, um, 
I was uh, I came uh, into some information recently that uh, that kind of irritated me, but it was it was confirming. Do you know that little button in elevators? The little arrows point at each other, you know, and, and it says, press this button and doors will close. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Do you know that in 80% of elevators, that button does not work? That is a fact. That's not Frankie International version again, okay? That is a fact. The button does not work. And so you can... It lights up, but it doesn't work. Now, some of you might be thinking what I'm thinking. If the button doesn't work, why? Because we like to see it come on. We like to feel like something's happening. Now, Brother Dwayne manages an office building, a large office building, and, and we talked between services and goes, you know, you're exactly right. The button isn't even hooked up. It does nothing. It does nothing to the... And, and the reason why is there's this huge computer system that during peak hours, that thing has to move. In the morning, at lunchtime, in the evening, that thing's got to move. And just because we want the door to close doesn't mean that it's going to throw the whole computer out of whack. So they just pull that little wire. It looks like it works, but it doesn't work. It's with all the other buttons that work, but it doesn't work. A lot of times we can come into a room like this and be surrounded with people who are connected with God, pursuing God, desiring God. And we look like everybody else, but we're not plugged in. The Lord knows when we're plugged in. See, Samson was a, was a guy that when he was born, his parents said, your son, I'm going to do some awesome things in his life. I'm going to do things in his life that I'm not going to do in anybody else's life. But here's the thing. He is going to have to have a set of standards that nobody else has. In fact, here were some of his standards. He couldn't cut his hair. He couldn't drink wine. He had a Nazarite vow. What's interesting is that Jesus could cut his hair. Jesus could drink wine. But Samson couldn't. See, God will put certain things in your life to consecrate you, to set you apart and say, hey, it's okay for Bobby to do it. It's okay for Susie to do it. But for you, and you know it because you feel your stomach tense up when you talk like that, when you dress like that, when you act like that, you don't feel quite normal because I've made you different. Come on. Now, as long as Samson kept those standards, he had fire in his veins and lightning in his bones. But the minute he gave up those standards, all of it went away. See, the power and the, the fire of God is connected to the commitment that we have towards the Lord. I think now's a good time to begin to shift and talk about why these weird people are surrounding me. <laughs> I've got um, a guy here, I've got a girl here, and a child here. And, and I want to talk about consecration. Because um, to the level that we consecrate ourselves, to the level that we set ourselves apart, is to the degree that the Lord will get involved in our life. So let's just begin to discuss a few things. The eyes. Uh, 
the eyes. Are, are you willing to consecrate your eyes? Are you willing? I'm just asking. We're just talking. Are you willing to say, Lord, these eyes, you gave me these eyes. There are some people who don't have eyes to see. You've given me eyes to see. I thank you, Lord, for eyes to see. You've given me these, these eyes. These are a gift. And I just want you to know that these eyes, they're consecrated to you. I'm, I'm setting them apart to be used for you. And Job 31.1 says, I will make a covenant with my eyes not to look at any young woman. A covenant. You know what I find fascinating about the Bible? Is there's things in the Bible that have been there for thousands of years. And now that we have a degree of intelligence and technology, we're able to find things that confirm what's been in the Bible for years and years. Watch this. I'll give you an example. See if you can finish this verse for some of you. The eyes are the window to the soul. See, you guys have heard that for years. What's interesting is that, that technology has proven that that's actually true. Physically, the eyes are the window to the soul. See, each eye has crypts and pigment dots and furrows. And their findings show that those with densely packed crypts are more warm-hearted than the people whose crypts and furrows are not as densely packed. The more warm-hearted, they're more warm-hearted, they're more tender, they're more trusting, and likely to sympathize with others. In comparison, those with contracted furrows were more neurotic, impulsive, and likely to give away to cravings. Isn't it interesting? It's been in the Bible for years and years and years. And now we have a microscope that goes, hold on a second. I even read this. That if you have dark eyes, I didn't share this with the first service, so this is just for free. If you have dark eyes you will become intoxicated with alcohol quicker than somebody who does not have dark eyes. It's your eyes. There's a list of examples, but I knew that if I began to share a lot of them, I'd never get back to preaching what I'm supposed to be preaching. I'm already wanting to share things that I didn't put in my notes. But the eyes show our personality. Our eyes show our character. And let me just ask you a question. Are, do you love the Lord? And do you want the fire of God in your heart? Bad enough. It's one thing to say. It's a whole other thing to actually do it. It, 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 it. Do you want it bad enough to say, Oh, I'm going to make the same covenant with my eyes. My eyes, God, they are yours. They are yours. I remember being 17 years old with, a, with one of my best friends. His name was David. And I said, Hey, do you want to go see this move and he goes no it's not worth it and I was like well I got the 425 you remember when movies were 425 <laughs> so I got the 425 he goes no I'm gonna walk in there and I'm gonna see things and I know when I walk out I'm not gonna be as close to the Lord as I am right now and I'm 16 years old and I'm looking and I'm like wow he made a covenant with his eyes. Let me just ask you. Let me just ask you. The, the fire of God. The excitement of God. To blow on that ember. To where it's just not just an interest anymore. It's a passion. There's a big difference when, you're, when your relationship with God. Is something that you're passionate about. Not just interested in. 
It's just there's a big difference. Do you want it bad enough to consecrate your eyes? Here, let's talk about our mouth. It's, do you want it enough to consecrate your mouth, to be able to say, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for my nervous system and my mind and my mouth all work together in perfect unison. Do you know the Bible calls your mouth an instrument? Just like these guys come up here with a bass and I am a friend of God. Yeah, yeah, they got all these instruments. Do you know the Lord looks at you like your mouth is an instrument? Are we willing to say, oh Lord, my mouth, my mouth is consecrated to you. I'm setting it apart for you. How do holy people talk, God? How do they talk? Because that's how I want to talk. Holy Spirit, teach me, teach me, teach me how to talk. Teach me because I want my mouth to be consecrated to you. You know, in the Old Testament, Israel wanted a king. And, and they asked for a king, and God said, I've got a king for you. His name is Saul. Saul, come on over here. And, and watch what this one young man said. It, it was in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 27. But a certain worthless man, everybody say a worthless man. A certain worthless man said, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present but he kept silent. The, the Bible calls people who just have negative and pessimistic and use their, their mouths not as instruments but as weapons. It calls them worthless. Now, there's, there's a part of this scripture. I, I just read this scripture. It, it just illuminated to me for the first time just a, a, a couple days ago. And so I'm not quite sure what present means. I don't know if the Lord was going to give them a present. I don't know if people were going to give them a present. I, I don't know. But I do know that whatever present, whatever blessing was available was withdrawn because of his mouth and his words. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Do, do you want to have the excitement and the passion and the longing and, and you just want to be with God bad enough to set apart your eyes and your mouth. It, it, do, do you want it enough? This, this guy right here, this good looking guy, let's just name him Joe. He's got a watch on. Um, do, do, do you want the Lord to, that every minute that ticks of the day is the Lord's? Every minute is the Lord's. Every minute. It's not just Sundays. It's, it's not just Wednesday nights, because every single Wednesday night we have a service just like this one. I speak, the worship team comes up just like this one. It's not just Wednesday nights. It's not just Sunday mornings. But every minute of every day, every minute of every day, every minute of every day, every minute of every day. Let me ask you, do you have a time during the day that that time is not anyone else's, it's the Lord's? Or, or uh, let me just ask you, or does, is this way too much? Is this, is this way too much? The, the, Jesus said it this way. Count the cost. I want you to have this discussion. Count the cost before you make the decision. Count the cost. The body. The entire body. Uh, ladies, let me just tell you. No man, no person should be able to touch your body unless... They've invested 
in you. They're married to you. No man. This is a, the temple of God. This is set to, to step aside and say, my entire body is consecrated to you. It's consecrated. I have set myself apart. See, now this is consecration and holiness. These are words that are in the Bible by the hundreds. By the hundreds. And I'm so sorry that it's not being discussed in church on Sunday morning. I'm so sorry. I, I know it doesn't win friends and influence people. But here's the thing. As bad as I want you to like me. I don't want you to like me so bad that I'm willing to skip over the words of consecration and holiness and watch you come in here and have a good time and enjoy church and then walk out and lead a life that's so difficult and so hard and look at your finances and look at your marriage and look at your children and see sickness in your body and say, how is this ever going to change? And then you come walking into church and I tell you how to win friends and influence people. That cannot happen. We've got to back up and say, oh, Lord, if I want you to just drench me with your presence, I want you to know. I want you to know that my eyes and my mouth, my time, my whole body, I'm setting it aside for you, for you. And and ladies, listen to me. If there's a guy out there, and I might be making some men real uncomfortable right now, but if there is a guy out there that wants to touch your temple without marrying you, there's a song out there, and I'll share it with you. It sounds something like this. Go ahead. Thank you. Should have put a ring on it, baby. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Well, that was awkward. (laughs) There's one last uh, character that I want to talk about. Somebody in the Bible named um, Hannah. Hannah was a young lady. She was married. um, Healthy, strong, awesome husband. Established husband. They didn't have any financial issues, financial problems. Everything was going really well. Except she had one thing that was not going well. And that was the fact that she couldn't have a baby. And she wanted a baby. I know everything is going well, but I want a baby. Just so you know, I've got three kids, but I connect to this story so much because there's so much of me that says, God, I know you've been good to me. I know you've been good to me, but I still have a need and a hope and a desire and a want. I know you've been good to me. And if you never gave me anything else, I know you've been good to me, but I still have a need, a desire, and a want. I don't know if you've ever been there. Well, this this woman named Hannah, she just wanted a baby. I want a baby. Would you give me a baby? And she cried and cried. In fact, the Bible says she cried and she prayed so long 
that the priest came in and thought she was drunk. She just cried. She wanted the baby so bad. And so she got it. She got a baby. And she did something very interesting. When she got her baby and she raised it, she sat down with her son. And she said, you know, I prayed for you. And God gave you to me. He gave you to me. And... to the Lord. I want the Lord to know that you are his. I want the Lord to know that. So she brought Samuel to the temple. She consecrated him and she set him apart. And she said, you are not like other boys. You're not like other boys. God has a call on your life. And I'm sure there was talks just like any other mother. I know mommy's not perfect and I know mommy makes mistakes. I know mommy messes up, but I don't want you to ever forget. You are not like other boys. You are set apart for the use of God. And I want to say this. I don't know if you have a little girl. I don't know if you have a little boy. I don't know. But I want to challenge you. I don't, know, I don't know what you're going to adopt from this service. I don't know if you're going to say, you know what, Frankie, you spoke to me in my eyes. From this moment forward, I'm consecrating to the Lord. I don't know if you're going to say, hey, this mouth thing that sounded good while you're preaching it, awesome, good job, you're doing an awesome job, but that's just not for me. I don't know what you're going to pick and choose. Like you're, if you're at a salad bar this morning, you're going to pick and choose parts of the sermon that you like and parts that you don't like. And hey, I really like the elevator story. I don't know what you're going to do. But let me just beg and plead with you that if you have children and you don't consecrate any part of yourself, any part of yourself, would you please consecrate your children? Would you please say, dear Lord, the best thing you have ever given me, the best thing you've ever given me is my children. And I just want you to know that I know you and I have some issues here. I know that I'm, you know, I'm not really quite sure what I'm going to do with this whole thing. But I just want you to know, my child, all yours. All yours. And, and, and take your children. Take them to the house of God. Put them. Say, if you don't pray ever, just let them see you pray for your food. Just, just, let, them, just, let, them, just let them grow up and say, my mommy and daddy, or just my mommy. Maybe you're a single parent. I don't know. Just let them see you pray. I don't want them to see me pray because I'm, I'm, I'm just this. I don't want to be that fake person. That's the enemy talking to you. Shut up. Pray. Just. just the best thing you have ever given me in my life, in my whole life. I just want you to know it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. And, and, and I want you to just, just take care of her. I want you to just take care of him. And, and you say, look, 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 look. I, don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Jesus loves you. And he's more important than anything else in the world. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Do you know that Jesus loves you? He loves you. He loves you. He's more important than anything in the world. Are you with me? Yes, mommy. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, all right, all right. Now, who loves you? Now, some of you, your child is not this big. Your 
child is this big. Can anyone feel the Holy Spirit this morning? Your child is this big. Let me just tell you, when you look at your child, when, when you look at her, isn't she still this big? Right? Isn't she still this big? I want you, when you get alone with God and, and nobody else is home, I want you to say, God, she's still my daughter. She's still my daughter. And I just want you to know, I'm giving her to you. Maybe I should have did it years ago, but I'm doing it right now. I'm giving her to you. She is yours. I don't know where she's at. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know where she's at. I don't know what she's doing. You know where she's at. And I'm still her mama. And I'm still his daddy. I want you to take an arrow out of your quiver. Shoot it right into his heart. I don't know where he's at, but shoot it right into his heart and make him love you like he has never loved you before. And everything that I've ever done as a parent that isn't good, cause them to forget about it. Anything that I've ever done that's great, bring it to their mind. But more importantly than anything, figure out how to get this boy in love with you. You pray as a parent for the rest of your life. The moment that little baby was born, you started worrying about that baby. And whether your baby is now 56 years old, you still worry about him, don't you? Because you're still his mama. You're still her mama. And you pray for that boy until, until you're not here anymore. And then when you get to heaven, Hebrews says that we're watched by a multitude of witnesses. That means I believe they look over the balcony of heaven. I just want you to say, that's my boy. That's my girl. Jesus, send some angels. Actually, send two. <laughs> it's consecration set apart I, I want to be a people we've set ourselves apart we don't live for ourselves anymore we live for our father what do you want because I'm all yours